Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. with Nathan Fox in L.A. just finishing a game of golf. That's right. Yeah, I had the 7.43 tea time this morning. I wore shorts and short sleeves all day. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's very cold here. Um, colder than usual. It's like 19 or something degrees. So That means, not, uh, that means global warming does not exist. That is right. Yeah, uh, that is what I've concluded as of this morning. So I rest in peace. Um, yeah, or it only exists on the West Coast, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, did you say your tea time was 7.43? 7.43, that's right. Hmm. Why, why the weird time? Oh, because they do tea times at like seven minutes or nine minutes or some weird interval like that. I think there's seven minutes hmm. out there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Um, and if you're like a few minutes late, they don't care. Or it sounds really strict if it's uh, exactly oh no, seven you minutes. would be disqualified from the. I was playing in a little uh, dorky men's club tournament today. Oh, it's a uh, tournament. Okay. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, no, you would get uh, disqualified if you were late for your tea time. Did you win? Fuck no, I played like shit. So getting disqualified <laughs> wouldn't have mattered at all. But uh, <laughs> I had fun. Good, good bunch of guys. Um, really enjoy the group. So yeah, it was fun. Okay. Um, yeah, well, we have a lot uh, to go over <laughs> in this episode. And I should tell everyone that this is our third time recording this episode, <laughs> thanks to me. Um, yeah, a little time- peek behind the curtain. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seriously, that's never happened before, and that's really messed up. And if for some reason this episode does not work, I'm going to um, uh, take up drinking maybe or something. Um, Nice. So what happened was uh, the first time we recorded this episode, I forgot to hit record, which is uh, (laughs) insanely stupid. Um, The second time we recorded this episode, a week later... My, I did hit record because by golly, we weren't going to miss that step. But for some reason, uh, at nine minutes and 45 seconds, the recording stopped recording. And so Nathan and I uh, trucked on and um, finished an hour or so later, only to discover that nothing had been recorded after that moment, which was also uh disappointing to say the least so now um that was yesterday we are trying one last time to go through these emails so these emails will be thoroughly exhausted in our minds um this entire conversation we've had the same conversation this is gonna be the third time that we've had the same conversation so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah yeah so what what do you think about this nathan (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't know. What are you going to say uh, about this, Ben? Because I already heard you say it twice. Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope this works out. But in any case, if you ever feel like <clears throat> you're facing a third attempt on the LSAT, don't worry about it. It's better to take it a third time and do well than to give up and go with what you've got, because that might not be very much. Absolutely. I, I, I hope you haven't been beating yourself up about the mistakes, have you? No. No, uh, I mean, I guess I should say I, I would like it if you it. were beating yourself up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> no, I feel bad, but uh, you know, I don't know. There's not much more to do about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I I've been thinking about it a lot because uh, you know this that accident, it, whatever it happened, it happened again. Mm-hmm. And um, I've said this already to you, Ben, but I thought that maybe the audience might be interested that 
my reaction to it has been basically, this is the reason why we get to have the, the cool jobs we have. I mean, not cool, like we're cool, but cool. Like we have nice lifestyles, you know, we don't work too much. We call our own shots. We're our own bosses and it's good. I like that. Um, but we, we have to overcome little bullshit like this all the time. <laughs> That's like part of being a small business owner is like yeah. these little tiny bullshit things. And you don't get to episode 121 of a podcast that's 90 minutes every time, you know, you just don't get there without overcoming a bunch of little bullshit. Yeah. And so it's like the, the reason why we're able to have these, you know, the gigs we have is because we have continued to overcome these little things. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess I just am giving myself and you Ben a little pat on the back and just, uh, at a boy, you know, because <laughs> it can be super frustrating, right? You could just say, fuck it and never do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, right. So it, I think the analogy to the LSAT is perfect. People, yeah, you fuck up once, you fuck up twice, you fuck up three times. But I mean, if you end up getting a great LSAT score on your fourth attempt, you probably will end up going to a great law school, getting a great offer. Yeah. And it's because oh. you overcame the three shitty ones that's why you get to go to law school and get a scholarship and all that. Yeah, no, totally. I just got an email actually yesterday from someone who had taken it, uh, in December for the third time and they got a 172. and before the 172, they had scored, Hmm. I'm thinking like mid one sixties to like 167, maybe, um, a couple, you know, on their first two attempts, official attempts, and they knew they could do better. And I'm sure a big part of their <laughs> preparation was just agonizing over whether to do it again, to keep putting in the time and to sign up again, put down the money. I know it's not a lot of money in the big grand scheme of things, but hey, all these little things you just have to decide to either tackle or go in some other direction and stop fighting for it. You know? Yeah. People just aren't, they're not resilient enough, or at least they're not resilient in this one context. A lot of times Mm -hmm. people just take it once they take a ding to their ego and then they basically just throw up their hands and say, well, fuck this, you know, either it's not meant for me, Mm -hmm. like law, like I'm Mm -hmm. not meant for law school or whatever, which, you know, really that's kind of fine. Right. We'd never (laughs) are that sad to people just say when people say, Oh, well maybe law school is not a good play because they probably just weren't that invested in it and hadn't really thought about it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But people, people who, who do really want to go to law school and they work hard on the LSAT and they take it once or twice and they don't get, you know, the, they, they don't get a score that I think they're capable of, or that they think they're capable of, but then they just go, ah, well, fuck it. I'm just going to apply with this score. Forget it. Yeah. Because they can't handle the, the, I think it, it really is like an ego thing, like the, the hit to their self-esteem. And so then they, they give up on it, which is a shame because I mean, boy, get yourself five or eight or 10 more LSAT points and your whole life changes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Anyhow, keep going, everybody. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, soldier so, on. Yeah. Soldier on. Um, today we will uh, talk about uh, how the December LSAT results came out early. Nathan will talk about how he loves his students' pets. 
um, <laughs> or the opposite of that. And um, we have some updates on question stem first. Uh, we have an update on the 509 reports. We have an update from Wicked. That's our correspondent who is trying to get scholarships right now from very good schools. Um, I had an article published or not. I didn't have an article. <laughs> you didn't I write was, it, Ben. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> slowly I'm trying to remember this differently in a way that's very flattering to me. Now, I was just quoted in an article in the Washington Times, which is the uh, – lesser paper here in the D.C. area, but nonetheless a paper. Um, and uh, we now have our YouTube channel up and running, so we'd like you to check it out. But in any case, um, what should we start with first? Uh, maybe just pimp that YouTube page. We need subscribers on our YouTube page, y'all. So if you could uh, go please to thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash YouTube, that'll take you to our YouTube page which right now has one of those crazy randomly generated um, URLs. So we can't give you the channel directly. I mean, I'm sure you search for thinking else at, you probably find it, but if you uh, go to thinking slash blog slash YouTube and uh, just hit the subscribe button for us, it'll do us, uh, do us uh, some good because we need a uh, hundred subscribers so that we can claim our custom URL and start putting content out in a different channel because people apparently listen to podcasts on YouTube. Who would have knew? Uh, they also uh, just search for LSAT stuff generally on YouTube. And so we're going to start putting some shit out through that channel. Yeah. Yeah. Please sign up. So Nathan, tell us about these uh, students and their quote, motherfucking pets. I'm not going to go on a huge, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go on a huge rant about it. Like I did when we chatted yesterday, cause you already get it. But um, I am just amazed at people paying me for private tutoring online and then having their dog in the background, constantly barking, constantly jumping up on their lap, constantly distracting them. Like I'm trying to explain a logical reasoning question to somebody and their dog will not shut up. And the student is not grasping the concept because the dog is distracting them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're meanwhile paying, you know, I, I, I charge like a lot for what I, for one-on-one -on -one time and they're paying me all this money. And then they're, and they're sitting there struggling, trying to understand this concept and I'm there to explain it to them. And nope, because we have to go shut the dog up again for the ninth time because the dog has been constantly scratching at the door, barking in the background, jumping on people's heads and just being a pain in the ass. So I wanted to complain a little bit about that. I'm not complaining about any one student in particular, just people get your dog under control, please. And your cat and get them out of the room. You're studying for the LSAT. The dog's not going to be there when you take the test. So the dog shouldn't be there when you're doing your practice sessions or when you're talking to your tutor or when you're just reviewing on your own, fuck your dog, get your dog out of the, of your business. When you're doing that, go play with your dog 23 hours a day. But one hour a day needs to be some dog-free time. I agree. End of rant. <laughs> well, well done. Well said. Um, yeah, pets get a lot of uh, treatment that uh, even kids don't get, right? That's one thing you were saying before, and it's true. It's weird. It's sort of like people bend over backwards for their pets. 
Probably because their pets have never actually offended them, right? Pets don't usually hurt our feelings, whereas other people do. So we have a little baggage with other people. Yeah, of everyone I know, I I love, you know, if I know people like 15 different dogs that people, friends of mine have, I, I love like two of them. Mm. And they're the ones that that shut up most of the time. Actually, there's one that I love that is loud, but that's a very much exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. Those things need to shut up. They're not going to grow up to be humans any anytime soon. Like little two year old children, I can kind of understand. Although even your children ought to shut up too. Let's be honest. <laughs> your kids five or six, they should be old enough to know that they should shut up. Really. So, so if anyone's ever visiting Uncle Nathan, they need to be quiet. Is that well, what? they just need to be well behaved. Like your boys, Ben, were fucking awesome. <laughs> they. <laughs> They were, they were so polite and they were just so nice and they were, yeah, I, I don't understand why people can't get their things under control, but I don't know. This is why I don't have kids and don't have pets. I have house plants. <laughs> the house plants are, uh, they don't mind if I leave for 10 days. They never say a word. They're, they're awesome. They're always just looking ready for you to look at them and look nice. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Alrighty. So, um, the December results came out early, the, this year, they were supposed to come out on the fourth, actually just like today. Right. I think that's when the, the date was, but they came out before or after Christmas. I can't remember now. Dude, it might've been before Christmas. Yeah, I think so. I can't even remember now cause it's been a, a while, but it, it, it was pretty damn early. Yeah. I feel Maybe like it was, was actually after. responding to stuff on Christmas or getting stuff on Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. But anyways, that's pretty early. And as we were talking about before, they're doing this almost certainly to respond to the pressure from the GRE, right, which is now coming in and potentially threatening the LSAT uh, domination. And therefore, LSAC is trying to accommodate everybody and give them their scores faster, give them more tests in a given year, let them take the test as many times as they want. These are all good things for LSAT test takers. It's weird, though, too, because uh, right now, uh, only about 10 schools accept the GRE. So to me, it seems like still a faraway threat, but maybe not. Yeah, I I think the other schools will probably start accepting the GRE. I mean, we're also we're yet to see how like how many of the students they accept are going to be accepted via GRE. It might be tougher to get in with a GRE than with an LSAT. We don't know yet. And Mm -hmm. it it would stand to reason that that's how it'll be, right? Because they're not sure how GRE students are going to do in law school. And so they might might be a little more strict with their admissions requirements for GRE students. Yeah. Uh, Theoretically. If they weren't just trying to take people's money, that's what they would do. But uh, we'll see. Um, Yeah, so competition's good. And the LSAT is slowly liberalizing. Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing but good news for students. It's great. Yeah. Um, well, really quick, I, I guess uh, I'm kind of skipping ahead here on the agenda because we'll get into these things as we go through the emails. But the um, article that I was quoted in was about the GRE. And basically the dean of Georgetown and I think the dean of Harvard were quoted as saying that they are – opening up the GRE to potential applicants because they want to diversify uh, their student body. Um, 
and that's ridiculous. And that's exactly <laughs> what I was being <laughs> quoted as saying is that, no, they're opening up the GRD, GRE because they're feeling the squeeze, right? They don't have enough people to – enough warm bodies to fill the seats and so they're – trying to get more people to look at coming to their institution and pay them money. I mean, it's as simple yeah, they, as that. Right. Well, Ben, they want to diversify their income stream. Streams. <laughs> oh, that kind of diversity. I see. Uh, I mean, diversity, that's a magic buzzword that can mean just about anything you want, right? So yeah. that seems, uh, <laughs> it sounds great. Why are you doing this? Oh, because we're so committed to diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, it's a noble reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, well, Never we were going to complain about this, but now we're not going to because it's it's for diversity. Okay, good. Um, yeah, it's they're gonna. <laughs> I do not see how I, I. It certainly does not mean racial diversity. Yeah, or like socioeconomic diversity. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be a bunch of people who took the GRE because they were trying to go to graduate school to get a PhD in philosophy or something. And they already took, <laughs> they already took the GRE. Uh, they're going to look a lot like the same people who are taking, you know, who are, who are filling the bulk of law school classes. Yeah. Um, but they are going to, yeah. I mean, law schools are hurting for students, so they are accepting the GRE now in some cases, other schools probably will follow suit. That's just nothing again, nothing but good news for, for applicants. Cause it's a buyer's market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to change things up, do you want to read this first email? Sure. Uh, Riley says, Oh wait. Yeah. Okay. Riley says, Oh, sorry. This is the email that, uh, Riley got back. She asked, uh, someone at the American bar association, a very nice guy named Ken. She asked Ken, uh, hello. Uh, well, wait, we don't have her email. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay, this is Riley's email, right? So she says, hello, I'm emailing in regards to the new ABA 509 standard reports. I see that bar passage rates are not included anymore on the report. Where can I find the bar passage information for each ABA accredited school now? Thank you. Uh, and Riley got an email back. The follow. She sent that at 5 p.m. and she got a response 1045 the next day. So they're on it over there at the Bar Association. And Ken says, hello, Riley. Uh, bar passage data is no longer collected in our annual data collection and has its own questionnaire, which will be collected during January and February, including ultimate bar passage with ultimate capitalized, which I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but it sounds very serious. Ultimate yeah. bar passage. The reports on this data will go live in early spring thereafter. Sincerely, Ken Sent from my BlackBerry 10 smartphone, <laughs> which amuses both of us. Um, eh, what do we think? I mean, he didn't, he, he, he literally didn't tell her where she could find the bar passage data, which was her question. Yep. And I don't understand why his, the rationale is, well, we collect it on a different survey now. Mm -hmm. But just because you collect it on a different survey doesn't mean you can't put it on the same report. Yeah. 
And I, I guess maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't understand the true purpose of the 509. Maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding because I thought the point of the 509 was to provide information to students so that they could make savvy decisions about where to go to law school and how much to yeah. pay to go there and whether it's worth it. And bar passage rate is a hugely important part of that package. Yep. So it's not like the data is not going to be public. I mean, it's just, you're, it's just going to force law students to go search for, for it in a different place. Yeah. Which well, is annoying. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, breaking up the information, making it harder to get. I mean, most people weren't aware of the 509s before, I think, right? Before we started talking about it. So I don't know how many people knew about that before. I just didn't hear any discussion of them. I I had never heard I didn't yeah I didn't even know it existed until like two years ago or something and then we started talking about it and now we talk about the ABA five hundred nines on every single show basically yeah because it's just so powerful right now is the time when everybody's negotiating right yeah and you you know they've got offers um, it's early January so people are getting offers and they've got some you know deposit deadlines and stuff that are coming up and. They're trying to figure out which schools they want to go to and whether they've gotten a fair scholarship offer or not. And the fact that you can just go look at the 509 and see what the class typically looks like in terms of LSAT and GPA. And you can also see what types of scholarships are typically given out at Mm -hmm. the 25th and 50th and 75th percentiles. It's just Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm Mm-hmm. And so these people, I mean, if you are looking at the 509, it's an unfair negotiating advantage versus everyone else that's going to that school. Mm -hmm. And the schools can't be happy about it either, right? If the schools were happy about it, they would send it it to you when they send you (laughs) your offer of admission. Yeah. But they certainly do not do that. And they do not put it prominently on their website. And they do not encourage people to look at the 509. We've just accepted you, and we'd like to show you how much money we typically give someone in your situation. <laughs> yeah. You, unfortunately, are getting zeroed. I mean, they, they, they really, they might want to say that. Like, you are getting no scholarship offer because you are below our 25th percentile for LSAT and or GPA. Yeah. <laughs> we are not going to negotiate with you. Do you want to come to our school or not? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be an interesting strategy if they did that. That's what uh, that's what that one school did, right? The, yeah, that was well, the, Thomas Jefferson essentially by publishing that the matrix on their website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know if that's working out for them. There's always rumors that they're going to be closing down. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. It was a last ditch effort. <laughs> if you're in a position of power, you don't need to do that. You're just going to say, "Hey, um, you're accepted." And if you don't look up this information, then you're going to pay more, basically, right? Because if right. you don't look up that information and you ask for money, they can come back and offer you less than what they typically offer other people in your same position. And a lot of people who get that offer are going to be ecstatic that they got something, right? And so how many people are excited about getting something, even though it's not as much as what they usually give out to those people? And now they're making that money off of those individuals who are so excited about the scholarship that they got. Well, I mean, it's obvious that that's what they're doing. Yeah. When they're giving 80 or 90% of the class some kind of scholarship help, they're sending an awful lot of letters that say, congratulations, we're offering you $10,000 for the first year, or we're sent, we're giving you 
$15,000 per year renewable for all three years. And by the way, our tuition is like 60. <laughs> and so, and yeah, they're, I mean, why else, Ben, why else would they be doing that? Generosity? No, it's a business. <laughs> they're trying to get students. And so they're giving these little stupid discounts mm-hmm. to try to make people feel special and try to try to suck you in. That's the game. Yep. So um, you got to look at the 509 so you can realize what game you're playing. And if you're at the... I was just talking to a, a dude from... Um, well, I won't name the law school. I, and he wasn't from the school. He's an applicant at a school. Uh, and he was saying that he's right around... Like he's one point below the 50th percentile LSAT. And he's slightly above the 50th percentile GPA. Okay. At his school, the yeah. school gives like, it's one of these schools that gives like 85 or something like that percent of the class gets some type of scholarship discount. Okay. And he was, they offered him a scholarship that was right around the median scholarship offer. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about that? That that's it, it sounds to me, that's not like a low ball offer. The median scholarship offer, it sounds a little low because if he's at the, well. He's oh, median no, actually, on LSAT oh, no. and GPA. Yeah, he's median on LSAT and GPA, and this is a, this is the median offer. So then that means he's getting a little more than what, right? Potentially, because, potentially. Yeah. I mean, you, I guess you have to sort of factor in yield as well. But, um, e, or may, maybe you don't because that's already the LSAT and GPA yield, huh? Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. you don't. Okay, so whatever. So they gave him a, a, like, that's a solid offer. Yeah. But I was thinking about it, and I'm like, because he knows the game, like, because he has access to the 509, and because he knows that, I mean, he's a podcast listener, so he knows that you can negotiate. And I was just thinking he very likely could get more than, you know, he, he he's going to ask them for more money. And I'm not going to be surprised at all if they up it. Yeah, that's just their median right that includes people who didn't get as much as they could have exactly right that's that's exactly what i mean because there's there are people who probably have better numbers who are Mm -hmm. getting the median scholarship because they didn't try to negotiate Mm -hmm. so anyway it's uh it's interesting i mean I, i do think some schools like have a set formula for basically your your index because of your index calculation then they just give you like a certain percentage discount Mm-hmm. So there are some schools probably where you can't negotiate or that are going to be a little bit like just formulaic with the offer. Yeah. But there are also other schools that are just constantly wheeling and dealing. Yeah. And you won't really know until you ask. So yeah. yeah. Ask for more money. Okay. Cool. So that covers that email. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here, Thanks I'll Riley for the spy work. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I'll jump into the next one. Hi, Nate and Ben, just sending you a note to say that your podcast was really helpful in the weeks leading up to the December LSAT. Sweet. Glad to hear it. I listened to episode 97, last minute advice episode, the week of the test, and the most helpful tip for me was to visualize my worst case scenario. For me, that scenario would be two reading comp sections right up front. On test day, when I opened to section one and saw RC, I actually laughed. When I got to a second reading comp for section four, I was so much more relaxed confronting it than I would have been without visualizing that scenario beforehand. I started studying in March with practice tests in the mid 
150s and now have a, an official 168. Thank you for the help in calming my nerves. I could have gotten that score. I couldn't have gotten that score without the last minute tips. Um, yeah, this is great. I mean, this is why you need to think about what might happen, what you would not want to happen, and then what you would do about it if it did happen uh, so that you're not thrown off. If you think about it beforehand, you're prepared. If you don't, then when something random happens, you get messed up and you can just remember to try to be zen, but it sure helps to kind of anticipate these things and then you know, be ready for them if they happen. In most cases, they don't, and then you feel good. You're like, oh, well, at least that that didn't happen, so things are going well. Yeah, I love the the uh, laughing when you see reading comprehension first, that's just so much better than being defeated. Yeah. You know, you could go, Oh, or you could go <laughs> funny. And then, you know, you got to get to work either way. I think getting to work with a smile on your face is a lot better than feeling the gut punch. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a great update. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for letting us know. Yeah. Hey, Ben, this is one of your students. I'll read it. Uh, if you end up reading this email on the podcast, feel free to use my name and edit it for brevity. Okay, we have. Riley. Another Riley. Different Riley. Um, good news, 165. This is a seven-point improvement from what I had on the December 2015 test, which was 158, and really a life-changing mark. I totally agree with that. 158 to 165 might not sound like a lot if you haven't been doing LSAT prep, but um, boy, you're moving past, in percentile terms, you're moving past like at least 10%, maybe even 15% of the field when you move yeah. from 158 to 165. And um, of high applicants, right, of the, like, of the reasonable law school applicants, which is 155 and above, um, you're moving past an even bigger chunk, right? You're moving past like now 30% or 40% of all the people who are 150 and above. Yeah. Of the, of the field that actually matters, right. That actually right. has a chance at a normal law school. You've just passed a huge portion. Yeah. Or, totally or like in the scholarship game, you've you like just go blasting past people who mm -hmm. would never get a scholarship with a 158, but with a 165, now you're going to get, you know, a full ride at some yeah. schools. Yeah. So yes, that is a life changing uh, improvement. So congratulations on that, Riley. Uh, thank you for your help and particularly your materials. I know for a fact I couldn't have done it without them because I tried for many months to no avail before reaching out to you for tutoring to my fellow podcast listeners. I had one session and look at the results. Cool. That's a nice. How much did you pay Riley to write that? <laughs> I just said, Hey Riley, it's i uh, I'll, I'll waive your tutoring fee. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> With the podcast, you and Nathan both kept me thinking about the test in the right way. It kept me studying even after my average was stagnating at 158 for a good while. I thank you both for this. I'll keep listening for a long while because your guys' podcast is the bomb. Have a Merry Christmas, Riley. Whoa, this was before Christmas. Ouch. Sorry, we get who <laughs> That's we have a backlog. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it, guys. Hey, you're getting your one episode a week. No complaining. All right, so this next one. Hey, Nathan and Ben, I wanted to write in and thank you both for the podcast and Nathan for his tutoring help. These emails. This is commercial planted. hour. Yeah, yeah totally. 
<laughs> I improved from a 163 in September to a 176 in December. Super thrilled. That is awesome. That is yeah. amazing. The score was in my inbox when I landed from a flight this morning. I'm going to have to reevaluate where I'm applying since I'm a splitter, but it's a great problem to have. Yeah, no kidding. <sighs> That's a total game changer. Uh, I'll be donating $17.60 today to the podcast. Feel free to use my name, my first name only, if reading on the podcast, Brandon. Dude, that is that is really cool. Do you guys remember yeah. what you talked about? Oh, man, I wish I did. It was so long ago. I could look it up. I keep like little little notes. But um, actually, I have it right in front of me here. Let me see what I wrote. Um, nope, I wrote absolutely nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we talked about. I do remember him. Um, super nice guy, super smart. I had a you know really good feeling about him. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes people are just kind of stuck thinking about the test in the wrong way mm-hmm. or some wrong ways. I mean, almost always people yeah. are thinking about the test in some wrong ways, especially when they lead with, um, I have a pretty good handle on the test. Mm. <laughs> That's always the worst thing you could possibly hear. Yeah. Because uh, people people who say that guaranteed don't. Um, yeah. Anyway, Brandon didn't say that. Brandon uh, just, yeah, he's just a bright guy and uh, we sorted him out. I mean, so I guess same experience with you, Ben. There's sometimes you just do one meeting with a student and magically fix them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're going in the wrong direction and they just don't realize it even after listening to the podcast or whatever self-study they've done or books they've read. Maybe the books have even pointed them in the wrong direction. You just say, hey, look, why are you doing that? I don't know why I'm doing that. Well, stop and try to do something different. And then, of course, you still have to do hard work from that point on, but you're going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. We that's what we do one on one is about removing roadblocks. So, you know, whatever it is that you're stuck on, that's our job is to get you unstuck. Mhm. So, um oh, I guess we should go ahead and give our phone number or something, Ben. I don't know. What do you want people to do? Go to your website? You yeah, know? the best is just uh, strategyprep.com and then contact me from there on the form. Yeah. Cool. Um yeah, with me you can Go to my website. There's a contact form. There's also, uh, you can just go ahead and book a 30-minute consultation if you want to get started that way. But call me, email me, whatever. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I guess it's back to me, huh? Yeah. Hey, I'm one of those longtime listener, first-time caller slash emailer people. In 2013, I took the LSAT mostly cold and got a 158. I knew that since I need to be a pretty big splitter, that wasn't going to cut it. I mean, in other words, I have shitty grades. I need a really big LSAT score in order to be a splitter. Uh, So yeah, 158 and shitty grades is definitely not cutting it. For several reasons, I was unable to focus on my work my first few years in college, which was 10 plus years ago, and did a lot of damage to my GPA because of how LSAC calculates it. Why don't you handle that, Ben? (laughs) Well, I'm sure that when LSAC calculated your GPA that it did drop, but it dropped because you had done poorly in some classes and that gave the calculator something (laughs) to make your, your GPA drop. I mean, you can't shift the blame to this. You got to 
you just got to own it. Um, the LSAT calculator is trying to make a, a level playing field for everyone, right? So maybe your school allowed you to retake these classes and be forgiven for your poor performance. But some schools don't do that. And so LSAC is trying to make all GPAs as consistent or standardized as possible. Of course, that's impossible. But to the extent that it can, it's going to follow the same rules as it calculates the GPA so that people who are at a school with a more forgiving calculation policy won't get a leg up when they apply to law school. So you just got to own it. You did poorly, and that's why your GPA is low. Yeah, well said. Um, this applicant will, of course, want to write an addendum. I mean, so the email continues. I ended up taking a few years off, and when I went back to school, I was a completely different student. Um, and so, yeah, this is a common story, and it's it's almost the most common reason to write an addendum. Mm-hmm. But you need to own your poor performance. Say briefly what happened and how you broke out of your bad habits or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. point them to the fact that your grades were much better after your break so that they'll realize that that's the student they're actually getting. Yeah. You definitely want to write that addendum, but the second you put, because of how LSAC calculates it, all credibility will be lost. Yeah. So just make sure you don't put that <laughs> at all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, over the summer, I bought books recommended by TLS and r slash LSAT on Reddit. Those books were Kaplan, PowerScore, and the LSAT Trainer. Getting some bad advice there if you're getting advice to read a Kaplan LSAT book. Yeah. So be careful with your sources. Um, TLS, I, I, I actively recommend people not to go to TLS. Uh, LSAT on Reddit. I know there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, but just, yeah, just be, <laughs> be careful. Um, cause I feel Kaplan, like it's mostly a waste of time. I don't know what people are doing on there. What are they looking yeah, for? Yeah, people, that's true, huh? Cause it's, you know what they do is they like speculate about it. People like to sort of do some, um, mental masturbation about, their scores and what they're going to get and what kind of law school they're going to go to and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Right. People like to fantasize instead of just actually doing the work. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I don't know. These, these forums also have like advice. It sounds like this, you know, give some credit here to Matt. He was going and looking to see what books to get and he got some recommendations. Unfortunately, he got some shitty recommendations. No, I don't mean to make Matt feel bad. One shitty recommendation. (laughs) It's just, yeah, top law schools in particular is just a bunch of people who, I don't know what their motivation is or what they're trying to do there, but it feels like they're just one-upping each other or something. Yeah, there's a lot of trolling, a lot of uh, dick measuring contests going on, I think. Yeah. Um, Okay. Two out of those three books, Ben, recommend reading the question stem first, mm-hmm. which is just bad advice. Yeah. Okay. When I took the LSAT in September, I was surprised that my score actually went down a point from the previous test to 157. Well, maybe because you started reading the question stem first. I was trying to figure out what to do differently when I found your podcast. I bought both the Logic Games playbook and the Logical Reasoning Encyclopedia 
and worked through them. Sweet. Those are both my books. I followed the advice on the podcast. I listened to a lot of older episodes too and stopped reading stems first. Stopped focusing on finishing every question. Learned to use worlds, etc. Wow. Very good. Yeah. I just got my score back from the December test and I got a 168. It wasn't quite the 170 plus I was looking for, but I can't complain about an 11 point jump in two months of studying while being a stay at home dad to a three and four year old. It took me from under the 25th percentile to over the 75th percentile at just about every school I'm looking at. I'm hoping someone will give me a full scholarship or close to it. Otherwise I think I'll wait until next cycle and maybe retest for that 170 plus. I have enough debt for my undergraduate and I'm really not looking to pay more than I absolutely have to. Anyway, I sent you guys 20 bucks so you can enjoy some beers with me to celebrate. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, that's awesome. Good, good news. So Matt stuck to it, retook the test, got some different sources, retook the test, killed it. Actually, I mean, you know, it was 2013 that Matt took the LSAT and got a 158. Then Mm -hmm. Did, then I did all this reading and got a 157. Mm-hmm. Then finally retook it and got a 168. So that's a fairly long uh, journey there. But Matt got there. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, so here I we did have a-, have a I did have a beer in your honor, Matt. Just so you know. So uh, that was back in December, though, because I'm as I told Ben yesterday, I'm not drinking for the month of January. Yeah. So and then in February you just uh, you start again. Oh, I'm going to just party it up, dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. It's just a nice little uh, little re- reboot. Yeah. Plus, we got the legal weed now in California, you know? Oh, no, I didn't know that. No, oh, dude, it's, we legalized it in the 2016 election, but it didn't take, uh, didn't take effect until uh, the 1st of January of this year. Yeah. So cities are now empowered to, uh, to license... Um, recreational marijuana just like colorado cool yeah um all right so we have uh six donations to quickly mention thank you so much everyone ari gave us five dollars matthew gave us 20 it's probably the same matt riley gave us 1750 brandon 1760 peter a whopping 100 dollars. thank you peter and samantha gave us 45 so that's um that's the most money I think that we've gotten in a batch, right? Between podcasts or whatever, but it's as you said last time still just scratching the surface when it comes to our <laughs> <laughs> monthly expenses. But hey, yeah, you know? oh boy. We pay like 170 something dollars a month for hosting. We pay per episode for editing. Um, we, yeah, we end up spending a decent chunk of money on the show. So we really appreciate, um, the, the donations, uh, that's, you just go to our website if you want to find the link to send us a little bit of cash. I will spend it on, uh, I will spend it on show expenses and weed. I promise. Hey, good. (laughs) Do you know how much weed you could buy for half of all of that money? Like, let's just say for $75, do you know how much weed you could buy? I have no clue. It's insane. You could be stoned every single day for the entire month for $75. It's ridiculous. Weed is Mm. super, super cheap. Compared to booze, weed is like the cheapest thing in the world. It's basically better in every way. I don't know why I drink. Maybe I'll just permanently not drink now. You'll be done. We'll see. 
Okay. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So, uh, oh, you want to take this one? Sure. Hello, Nathan and Ben. To push for scholarships, should an applicant be in the 75th percentile or higher for both the LSAT and GPA of the school they are applying to? No. What do you think? No? Oh, well, should they be? <laughs> um, <laughs> that'd be nice, but they don't have to be. Like, I, I guess I feel like this is too strict. I would still be pushing for scholarships even if I wasn't doing this well. Well, yeah. And I mean, especially if you're like 50th percentile on one and 75th percentile on the other. Yeah. You better get a scholarship in that case. Yeah. Um, and even if you're 50th percent, I mean, we just talked about that one student mm-hmm. uh, who I said was 50th percentile, basically right on the 50th percentile for both and was getting a 50th percentile, which was like a 50% scholarship. Mm-hmm. So no, you can, you do not need to be in the 75th percentile for either to get big scholarships, yep. but the, Oh wait. Oh no. Sorry. When I saw the one point below the 50th percentile, I thought that was the same student, but it wasn't this, that student was not that high. 90th percent says I'm one point below my target schools, 50th percentile LSAT, but I am in their 90th percentile for GPA. Their latest 509 indicates they gave half to full plus stipend scholarships to 51% of their students last year. All other factors aside, what do you think my chances are of getting at least half tuition? You want to speculate on this one? Yeah, they're very good. Um, If you're one point below the 50th percentile for LSAT and you're in the 90th percentile for GPA or whatever that means, however you figured that out, you're a very good candidate. You're somewhere like the 70th, 70th percentile or so compared to other candidates. And so if they give a half scholarship to full scholarship for half the class. And God damn, that's crazy too. That's yeah, that's, a lo- this school's given a lot of big scholarship offers. They are. I mean, they're still taking half for all the people who are paying half, right? So Think about that, though. Over half the class is getting at least half off. Yeah. So if you're getting not half off, boy, are you getting screwed. And this person is in the 70th percentile, roughly. I'm just totally estimating here, but yep. they're somewhere around there. So Overall, in- like their index will be yeah. something like 70th percentile, yeah. So they're in the top half of the class. And we know that the top half of the class is getting half or more or half right. all the way up to full. So, yes, your chances of getting at least half are extraordinarily good. And if you don't get it, you should probably walk away. Actually, you should walk away. I don't see, no, why, you, I don't see why you'd go. Oh, I think that's clear. I, I don't. Yeah, I think you're thinking about it wrong when you say, what do you think my chances are? I think you need to insist on getting at least half tuition. Yeah. Or don't go to that school. Yeah. That's what you're you're worth at least half at that school. So you better get the half. I mean, also, also retake the LSAT potentially and get one or two more points Mm -hmm. or three or four more points and go after one of those stipends. Right. I mean, when you're right on the edge like that, you, you, (laughs) a couple more points could go a long way at that school. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, I guess it's kind of too late at this point in the cycle. You don't want to be taking the February LSAT and then applying that same cycle. Well, given the numbers, they could be applying to this school. That's true. And, and then just take the February LSAT, get a score, and be like, oh, by the way, my score just went up four points, which now puts me in this range for scholarships, and that's really what yeah. I'd like to see. Thank you. Yeah, and that's just you only you don't even need to tell them you're doing it, really. You know, mm-hmm. you could just because you let them evaluate your application, they're going to admit you for sure. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you probably a scholarship offer of some sort. Mm-hmm. And you can just don't pay your deposit until you get your February score back. And then if, yeah, you score a few points higher, you want to definitely uh, let them know that uh, before you sign. Yeah. Because you want to get a better deal for sure. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then the next one is from a podcast listener who supports reading the passage first. Hey guys, this probably will seem like a somewhat irrelevant anecdote, but given your recent email from Will, I've been thinking about how reading the stem first works in real life. I am a high school teacher. And as Nathan pointed out in an early episode, students frequently for pretty much all of school, read the questions first, skim the reading passage skim the reading passage for the answer, and then write down whatever the passage says without actually interpreting the passage. (laughs) I absolutely did that for all of grammar school, basically. (laughs) Uh, Little Nathan. This is something... I don't mean that in a derogatory way. (laughs) I was. I was super tiny. I was like... I was always like the short... One of the shortest kids. Oh, yeah? Until... Yeah, I like grew six inches one summer in high school. How tall are you now? I'm 5'11". 5'11". Yeah. Yeah, I got to like a normal height. But I mean, when I was a freshman and even when I was a... I was like sophomore in college and I was Mm 5'5". Or sophomore, sorry, sophomore in high school and I was 5'5". And then I was 5'11", like on the first day of school (laughs) as a junior. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, who are you? Yeah. Uh, She continues, this is something that has irritated me about teaching for years uh, students may get the questions right, but they aren't developing critical reading skills and are unable to make inferences, real inferences, not LSAT inferences, and have a very limited understanding of what they read. After studying for the LSAT for some time, I had a theory that if I made my students read the passage first without telling them what questions I was going to ask them, they would actually understand the passage better. I brought this theory up with some of my fellow teachers who were adamant that this was bad teaching and that the students needed <laughs> the questions as a lens. This is crazy. I mean, my reaction to this every time I read it is like, you're asking your students to do something more challenging, and that is bad for them? I mean... Well, you're asking them to read. It's not... I don't even know for sure that it's more challenging. I get your point, (laughs) but... I think you're asking that, them to read the book that you gave them for the class. It's the yeah. textbook for the class. And you're asking them to read some of it and then answer questions about it. And you're a teacher and you're saying that's bad teaching. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess by, yeah. Um, by more challenging, I mean, it seems like they have a little, they have a little gimmick or trick. And um, the teacher's saying, well, let's just have them do it. Like you would do it in real life. You'd read the whatever it is or you'd encounter information and then you'd have to make inferences or deductions on the basis of the information you encounter in life. I mean, you're not, 
usually asked questions before someone starts talking to you. Not even on a test. You don't get the fucking questions first. Yeah. You're going to go to a whole semester worth of every single law class you ever take, and you're going to get the questions at the fucking on the final. That's the only time you're going to ever see the questions is on the final. Yeah. So that's how the LSAT works. That's how the that's how law school works. I mean, I guess the bar exam, multiple choice questions are pretty predictable. I guess kind of the questions, if they're testing black letter law, are pretty predictable. But even that, you're not going to see the test before you take it. You're going to have done all your reading and work. (laughs) I don't know. That's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Lawyers are people who can read things and understand them. Yeah. And you're not going to get the questions in advance. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I tested my theory. I gave students a page of reading, told them that I was going to quiz them on the reading, and that they would not know what questions I was going to ask ahead of time. Seems like an obvious way of doing things. It's sort of funny that you need to explain it. I'm going to ask you to read something, and um, (laughs) just so you know, there will be questions about it. I'm not just asking you to read it, and I'm not going to tell you what the questions are beforehand. And it's almost like anticipating kids going, wait, 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 but what But what are the questions? Um, what do we need to know about the reading before you give it to us? <laughs> well, the probably it sounds like at this school, the other shitty teachers are training them that you're going to have the questions in advance. So like, well, as you read, make sure you're looking for the answers to these questions because that's what you need to know. You don't need to know anything else. You just need to find the answers to these questions. Don't worry about any of the rest of it. For sure, don't try to get the main point or the context of the whole thing. Don't get the big picture. Only focus on these three questions. (laughs) God damn it. Try to notice how tall Nathan was before he was a junior. (laughs) That's the only thing that matters in this entire podcast. (laughs) You got to get the details. Uh, (sighs) Yeah. Anyway, so she goes on. Not only did students get 100% of their quiz, 100% on their quiz, but they were actually able to talk about the passages in more the passage in more meaningful ways, draw inferences, and actually remember what they had read. Students now treat everything they read as if they are going to get a quiz after and read deeply every time. It's a really strong claim. I don't know if I'd accept that on the LSAT, but I'll accept yeah. this from our our wonderful correspondent. Yeah. Turns out she has a lot of faith in her students. Turns out when we aren't just looking for the answer, we actually read for understanding. This is how we read things in the real world. It doesn't make sense to me why we would do it any other way on the LSAT. Reading here, is here. done first seems like a shortcut that may work on easy questions, but it really is a poor strategy overall. Uh, when you said here, here, that made me think of like the British um, Parliament or something like that. Dude, I just watched um, Darkest Hour. That's probably why it was in your head, huh? Maybe? Might have been. Yeah, might have been. Because that's how they debate things, no? Over those crazy uh, people across the pond? The opening scene is, yeah, uh, a a heated debate in uh, whatever that is. If it's the House of Commons, is that when they do it? Uh, Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of oratory and there's a lot of shouting down from one side or the other and some politicking about what they're going to uh, applaud and what, you know, it's, it's actually, that's a really good movie. Um, great performance from Gary Oldman, who has been transformed into Winston Churchill. He does not look like Gary Oldman at all. It, it is Winston Churchill. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it is a really good movie. It seems like that our Congress would do better if it, they did it that way. 
I, it it feels like the politeness and the the formality rules prevent people from I don't know actually focusing in on where they disagree. I mean, I could see yelling and arguing is also distracting, but it seems to cultivate like what they're actually concerned about, right? Like no one hesitates to say things, which seems valuable. Yeah, well, we have a president who doesn't hesitate to say anything. Yeah. And uh, so, I don't know, man. Some ci- A little civility um, could go a long way, at least from that asshole. Yeah. We chatted about this yesterday, but the president tweeting about uh, – tweeting just taunting North Korea, mm-hmm. which apparently now is like a nuclear-equipped country. I mean, I just – Maybe he has intelligence that they they can't possibly do anything with a nuke that they have. Yeah. But the whole world does have nukes. And you popping off, taunting some – talk about a dick measuring contest. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the size of his nuclear button. Yeah. Uh, I, this, we, we have an absolute asshole. He's an idiot and he's an asshole – and he's it just seems so scary and dangerous i i used to think it was funny but i'm 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 f- kind of failing to see the humor these days yeah we'll see how long it lasts um yeah i mean i i'm not like i'm going to be super thrilled if pence ends up taking over <laughs> he seems like a much more rational person though wouldn't you say i mean for like a fundamentalist He's yeah, sure. He's got his ideology and his, but a dude who like can't have a meeting alone with a woman—that's a much smaller problem than nuclear war. Sure, I I'm mean, not saying it's a, a problem that is <laughs> okay or anything like that. It just seems like a quirk, not a national security threatening. No, abs- hey, it's not the it's not the entire world going up in a fireball. Yeah. So, okay, compared to that, it's it's definitely it's definitely better. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's that's a another just fucking idiotic. How could he possibly be holding a <laughs> government position when he has those views? I don't know. That's well, he's Un- also very unreal. quiet, right? I mean, maybe he's just quiet because in comparison to Trump, he. Exactly. That's again, yeah, compared to the fireball, <laughs> everybody looks good. I actually kind of forgot that Pence was the vice president until you started talking about him. It's like, yeah. what does he do? I mean, the vice presidents don't usually do anything, but at least in the past, a lot of them have done something. He acts fucking pious. He sits in the cabinet meetings and like does a prayer of thanks to Donald Trump. To Donald Trump? He he led, this is, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably like... Um, conflating all of my different oh now we're going to be accused of fake news but go ahead well yeah we are um maybe we'll get on the president's award shows he's going to do an, he's going to announce some fake news awards so oh maybe okay we'll, we'll be in contention now um no there was something about trump sitting there while the cabinet uh and i think pence w- was there he's part of the cabinet right um was led a prayer of thanks to donald trump uh, for I think it was when they passed the tax bill, and they did a prayer. Uh, they did a prayer of thanks for, for for Trump's leadership on getting the uh, getting this important legislation passed. A fucking prayer of thanks. Oh um, man, yeah, it's it's just not okay. But anyway, 
We're all going to die, so who cares? So who cares? Yeah. Uh, she continues. Anyway, the whole anecdote was... Oh, wait, hold on. I'm skipping here. Or did I skip? Oh, no, I didn't skip. Okay, anyway, the whole anecdote was really just to provide my support of stimulus first. It's rather interesting how much studying for the LSAT has made me think differently about how to think. Sorry to be metacognitive here, but I really have seen a noticeable difference in the way I understand logic and reasoning. I love it. I'm not sure any of this would be of interest to your listeners, but just thought I would share. Cheers and thanks to for thanks for all you do. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm just going to read this as a prayer of thanks to all we do. Sincerely, teacher of students who can now infer. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. How tall are you, Ben, by the way? You're a little taller than me, right? Uh, Yeah, three inches. You're 6'2". Six 6'2". Two. Six two. Six two. You're taller Dude, you than just me. did an inference. How did you do that without knowing? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know you were going to ask me that question in advance. I just figured it out. Um, you're you're taller than me. You're better looking than me. I don't know it's, if I'm better looking than you. I don't know, man. We get emails from listeners talking about how good looking you are. Huh. Well. Yeah. All right, I'll oh, well. take it. And you're married, though. Sorry, listeners. Ben's married. Out of luck. <laughs> Um, want to do this wicked update? I yeah. guess it's my turn. Yeah. Hello, here's your wicked update. Here's my list. Oh, I don't want to read the list. But here's the <laughs> breakdown of the list. In at NYU, University of Michigan, Duke, Berkeley, Georgetown, BU with a full tuition scholarship, BC, and William & Mary with also a full tuition scholarship. Oh, by the way, this is a student who has a 3.8 and a 179. Yep. Previous correspondent. Mm-hmm. Interviews have been scheduled at Harvard and Columbia and UChicago. Scholarship interviews pending for UMich and Duke. Waitlist at Cornell. Ghosted, so far, by Yale, Stanford, UPenn, UVA, and UCLA. Then this question is a little out of, out of whack, right? It's like just, it's surprising. Mm-hmm. I think Wicked is uh, underestimating herself. I am so excited by the full ride at BU. I'm hoping to also get housing out of them. How do you suggest I go about leveraging that? I was thinking I could use the full ride at William and Mary, plus the fact that housing is way cheaper in Virginia to persuade them. Also, when do you think I should contact them about it? And we had this conversation twice already, Ben. So what's our advice? Our advice is to wait and see what other offers you get, especially from Harvard, which is just across the town. Uh, BU, which gave you a full ride, is going to be much more interested in what Harvard, a higher ranked school, a close school, is going to do for you than what William and Mary is going to do, which I think is actually – well, I don't know if William and Mary is ranked lower or not. But um, they're just it, – it's far away and so your kind of threat to go to William and Mary – lacks a little bit of credibility it's it's sort of like well if you're serious about coming to boston if you're serious about being in this area then the difference between getting housing or not getting housing is insignificant and you should choose us anyway yeah absolutely i mean it's so close you can walk from bu to harvard and if harvard is you know arguably the most prestigious law school certainly the most famous law school yeah and they lose BU loses students to Harvard all the time. They know that if you have, you know, if you're serious about going to 
Harvard, you're ser- you would <laughs> you would be also amenable to going to BU mm-hmm. since it's right there in the same town. Um, so yeah, wait wait till you hear from Harvard. And by the way, I think Harvard admits like two thirds or three quarters of the people uh, it interviews. Yeah. So you're you're looking really good um, at for for getting into Harvard, and then then you can put the screws to BU. And even if you don't get into Harvard, right? Like, let's say that Harvard comes back and says, hey, sorry, we're not interested. Um, There's nothing wrong with waiting. Waiting shows that you're hesitant. And so I think they're more likely to be like, uh, apparently the full tuition wasn't an immediate yes. So we've got to give her a little more. Otherwise, she's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're in the mood to do some speculating, you always are, right? I'm wondering why I haven't heard back from schools like UPenn and UVA. My application was marked completed at both schools around October 14th, and I know some people with riskier numbers than mine and who submitted way later who have already been accepted. I'm not panicking, period, at all, period. Happy holidays from Wicked. So this was before Christmas. I mean, it's definitely possible that uh, she's gotten... I'm sure she's gotten at least one update from one of these schools. Yeah. But the thing about not hearing back from UPenn and UVA, also the the thing about getting waitlisted at Cornell, that all is probably just yield protection. They look at your 3.8 and your 179 and they go, oh man, she's going to be getting into Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Mm-hmm. And when people get into Harvard, Yale, Stanford, they usually go to Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Yeah. And... So I, I, I'm thinking that they are just kind of delaying or they put you on the wait list or they just don't say anything for a while because they want to wait and see if you're going to just accept some better offer somewhere. They want to see if you're going to show them some interest. Yeah. So you can follow up if you've, I mean, you've applied two months prior, there's absolutely nothing wrong with sending them a polite email or a quick phone call or something and just say, Hey, I, I submitted my application in the middle of October. I hadn't heard anything. Just wanted to make sure that everything was in order. Mm-hmm. You know, you, do you, you have everything you need and that's an indication of interest. And um, then they might uh, make you your offer. I mean, yeah, I have, I don't think I've, I really, I'm not sure I've ever even heard of a student not getting in somewhere because of yield protection. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they just deny people really. I don't think that happens very often because ultimately UPenn, UVA, she would be a steal for them, right? They would be, that'd be a feather in their cap yeah, to get a 179, 3.8 candidate like her. Yeah. And so um, don't worry. They want you. Cornell wants you too. I mean, they, they put you on the wait list because they're hoping you'll say Cornell is my dream school. I really want to go to Cornell. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you're going to come off that wait list pretty quickly. I'm almost certain. Yeah. Um, as far as the getting ghosted by Yale, Stanford, I, same thing. I mean, they, that's Yale and Stanford. They can do what they want. Yeah. But they will, they will be with you shortly. And that's not to say that you're going to get in because nobody's a guarantee at schools like that. Yeah. But, uh, you're obviously a great candidate. If Harvard's interviewing you, <laughs> Columbia's interviewing you, Chicago's interviewing you. Yeah. You obviously did everything right with your applications. Yeah. And 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 you got great numbers and so these schools are all going to want you. Um or most of them. I mean, we do hear weirdly like it I always am surprised when I've got somebody who gets uh into 
you know, they'll, they'll get denied by Berkeley and then get into Harvard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that does happen sometimes. Yeah. Freak things happen, especially when you apply to, Hey, if you applied to 15 schools, which it seems like uh wicked has done, they apply to 15 schools, then yeah, there's going to be some outliers probably in both directions. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for the update wicked. Um, Hey, since you sent this email like a month ago, <laughs> We're just now getting around to it. Um, we're probably due for another update. So when you hear this and you want to drop us another line, we'll put it on the agenda. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I hope listeners don't hate the updates from Wicked. I mean, they're probably super jealous and <laughs> wish Wicked was dead, but o- Other than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let me, let me jump into this one. I have to admit that I'm um, feeling almost antsy to get through this last email. Um, do you feel that way at all? You mean because te- you want the technology to not break this time? No, not because of that, because we've done these emails twice oh. before. And now yeah, we didn't even make it to this one yesterday. Oh, we didn't make it to this one. Oh no. yeah. I don't know. There's just something about like having gone through all these emails three times. I'm feeling like the urge to wrap it up. Um, but you're not feeling that way. Um, no, I'm feeling very Zen. I'm, I'm, I'm very relaxed. That is, that is good. Um, so this email says, hi, Ben and Nathan, feel free to use my name. If this ends up in the podcast and feel free to be critical. I can take it. Crying emoji, crying, smiley, crying, laughing. Yeah. Crying, laughing emoji. I started listening to the podcast in October and listened on my way to and from my internship in D.C. Hi, Ben. Hi. And the tips and tricks have helped immensely. The rocket-powered sledgehammer and getting every question you attempt correct tactics have been most helpful. (laughs) As we talked about two weeks ago, we have no idea what the rocket-powered sledgehammer tip is, but if any listeners know, please tell us because we don't remember talking about that at all i it must be a fallout reference it f- the rocket powered sledgehammer is a weapon you can get in the game fallout 3 slash maybe fallout 4 mm. so it sounds like something that i it's it's vaguely familiar but i have no idea what technique that is as far as the lsat is concerned <laughs> but i need it give it to me <laughs> Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, we do have people who go back and listen to the whole back catalog. So somebody must be on that. So yeah, please, somebody tell us. Tell us. Yeah. We'll start saying it again. Getting every question you attempt correct tactics. Yeah, we got that. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. I've come to enjoy how clearly you two explain the questions and consequently I bought Nate's Logic Games Playbook and the Logical Reasoning Encyclopedia. I've used the Power Score books and other resources from a BYU test prep class, but I have not made any significant progress. I am still um, within the 150 to 155 range. I have been since since taking a practice test cold. I find that my weaknesses typically involve not taking the right approach on LR and LG questions, as well as getting caught up in the LSAT vernacular in the LR and reading comp sections. Mm. Yeah, so if you're getting caught up in the LSAT language, if you find the language to be challenging to the point where you just gloss over it, you're not really engaging with the language as much as you should. You need to stop, reread the sentence, 
figure out what it was saying until you understand it. That's the only way to get better at reading convoluted garbage, which is what the LSAT coughs up every day. Yeah. And welcome to law school and welcome to legal practice. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I wish people would just stop saying I got caught up in the, like, people love to say I got caught up in the wording. I got caught up in the language. Yeah. Here we get, I got caught up in the vernacular, mm-hmm. uh, which is fancy, but the, all that adds up to, I didn't understand. And lawyers are not allowed to not understand. Mm-hmm. You're not stupid. You have a good vocabulary. You, but there's still going to be stuff that you might not quite catch the first time through. You need to read it again and you need to read it slower. Yeah. And you just have to win that battle of will. Yeah. When people say I got caught up in the wording, they, they like, they like to say, see, because they don't say I didn't understand what it meant. No one ever says that. Yeah. Because it's like embarrassing because they're admitting that they just didn't understand it. Yeah. And instead we say things like, Oh, I got caught up in the wording there. Mm hmm. And you just, as if that is like, oh, so no big deal. I just got caught up in the wording there. Yeah. Mm, you're, you like get disbarred for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not allowed to, ju- you're not allowed to just not understand. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, your honor. I just didn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So, um, and I'm not beating up on this particular correspondent. I- I'm just, I, you know, everybody generally your job is to read things and understand them. Mm-hmm. And so if you're ever not understanding, you just got to do it again and again yeah, and not, not give up. Yep. So, uh, he continues as a result, I know that I can improve in every section in time. Hmm. Okay. I will take the December LSAT, but I am not confident in achieving the score. I need to get into the, my choice law schools this round. I need to break 165 to get into my choice schools. For background, I have a 3.4 GPA that will not likely increase by the time I need to apply in March of 2018. Okay. I know that with a mm. Mm. Uh, applying this cycle in March is not a good idea. Uh, it's a horrible idea, actually. Sorry, you're just going to be really late. We say this a million times. Um Okay, in any case, I know that with a 165 or higher, I will get into my top law school choice, BYU, or receive scholarships elsewhere. I know I want to practice law either in Oregon, where I grew up and where my family law firm is located, or in Utah, where I have an expanding network. Okay. um, I don't know that this person necessarily needs to get a 165 or higher, but they do need to get a much higher score than 155. So it'd be interesting to hear what score this person got, but it sounds like they need to focus on your books and 35 minute sections and slowing down to understand what they're reading and not letting themselves get lazy and giving up when the reading gets tough. That's basically what's happening. It's just mental laziness. And do not apply this cycle. I mean, just you can see the naivete when you hear this. My GPA won't increase by the time I need to apply in March of 2018. If you apply in March, you are going to get ripped off. Yeah. Period. You're not getting a good scholarship if you apply in March. And 
so you you must wait and apply at the beginning of the next cycle. You need a better LSAT score, so you can't apply with your 155. Yeah. Or whatever. Wait, do we even have an official score on record? Maybe not. Oh, wait, it says I will take the December LSAT, and we don't have a report yeah. uh, from that. Okay, so yeah. that, that score, whatever it is, um, maybe this is moot, but uh, for for the listeners, if this was the case, you know, if you had a 155 on record, let's say, that's a, you're waiting another cycle. Just wait another cycle. It's fine. Yeah. It'll be here before you know it. You'll apply in September. You'll start receiving offers potentially before Christmas. Or if not, you'll start receiving offers in January for sure. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll, it's right around the corner and taking a year off is definitely not the end of the world. And it might save you a hundred thousand dollars, $200,000. Yeah. So this is a, this is just a clearly do not apply this cycle. Anytime when people are telling me what the deadline is, you shouldn't even know what the deadline is. Yeah. The, the deadline, the day, the day the admissions window closes is not a day you need to worry about. Yeah. Because you shouldn't be applying anywhere close to that. Yeah. You're allowed to apply immediately after the December test comes out, but even that's not ideal. I, I would much prefer that you're applying in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, last thing, since I will not likely get the score I need in December, what are some suggestions you two have for preparing for the February LSAT beyond the one section per day preparation? Uh, yeah, I think that's it is just do one section per day and go slowly and take time to really figure things out. Don't let yourself just go through the sections. I mean, Uh, what else you got? (laughs) I don't want to do that. Well, give me, I want a tips and tricks. Oh, tips and tricks. Sure. Sure. I've been holding back. That's where you got to sign up <laughs> yeah, for the class. I know. Yeah, totally. Oh, right. Yeah. That's what people pay us for is tips and tricks. Yeah. No, the truth is I give away 100% of everything I know about the LSAT. I am always saying everything I know about the LSAT. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope you'll take my class. The class is good. The class is really helpful. We talk about it a lot more, but um, yeah, no, it's not tips and tricks. It's you need to do your work. I was just talking to a, um, a caller from St. Louis who wanted help and she was, you know, it was like, she'd been through this long, arduous process. She had taken the LSAT two times already. And I said, um, okay, you know, you've been working on this for a while and, uh, how many tests do you think you've done? And she, she said, she thinks she's done a total of 10 to 15 practice tests. Whoa. Total. That's with taking the LSAT twice. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Sorry. I thought this was like, yeah, never mind. Okay. And so over the course of a year or whatever of studying, she's done, she's done 10 or to 15 practice tests. And you know, that's not nothing. I'm not trying to belittle her efforts, Mm -hmm. but I am, I am saying, um, you know, many of your competitors are doing (laughs) a lot more than that. Yeah. And so when I hear this, I don't know about this correspondent, particularly, but you know, when I hear, um, what else you got besides the one section per day, that makes me think you're not doing the one section per day. Yeah. Or you're not, and, you're not doing it well. Right. I mean, there's one thing about doing 10 to 15 tests, but sometimes people can misinterpret that and think, Oh, okay. I got to get through these sections. It's like, you, you got to do the section and then review it very well. Yeah. And that's right. Which where you sometimes involves getting effort. some help. Yeah. Right. A study partner, um, your smartest friend, 
common sense, you know, people can figure these questions out, right? Smart people can figure these questions out. Yeah. And so your smartest friend might be able to just help you <laughs> review your mistakes. Yeah. But you need, when you're, when you're in the 150 to 155 range, you're missing a lot of easy questions. Yeah. And so you need to be doing that one section a day, making some mistakes and then learning from those mistakes. Yeah. If you were learning from the mistakes, you wouldn't still be scoring 150 to 155. Yeah. They're not that hard. So you can get there, but you got to do the work. This, this correspondent also says, I bought Nate's logic games playbook and logical reasoning encyclopedia. I hear that a lot, which is wonderful. Thank you very much. I hope it's helpful. I hope you'll actually use it. Yeah. Because it's people love to buy things and then just, I don't know that they actually ever really do it. <laughs> the logical reasoning encyclopedia is a beast of a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has 550 questions in it and they're all fully explained. And that so that like takes some time to get through that. Yeah. And so people will like crack it open and do a little bit of it, but then if, if they don't do, you know, they're just, Oh yeah. Well, what else you got? Mm-hmm. Cause they just kind of like want tips and tricks and, shit to buy, but you can't just throw money at it. You have to spend a lot of time and effort. Yeah. I agree. I guess that's our advice. (laughs) Well, thanks for writing in and everybody. Thanks for listening as always. Uh, if you have questions, you can email us at help at thinking That email will go to both of us and we will respond. I think we, I think, I don't think we've missed any, but if we have, sorry. Um, and you can always go to the website, thinkinglsat.com forward slash blog to check out the show notes and subscribe so that you get notifications as soon as an episode comes out. You can also go there, thinkinglsat.com forward slash blog forward slash you to- YouTube. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Well, I mean, if you just want to go see the show notes, just go to thinkinglsat.com. You don't need to put slash blog. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, but our the link to the YouTube is, sorry, I stepped on you. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, strategy prep, or no, go to strategyprep.com actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all the action is. Uh, no, so thinkinglsat.com forward slash blog forward slash YouTube is where you can uh, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe so that we can get a normal URL in YouTube. That'd be great. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Um, another year of podcasts yet to come. That's any, right. Uh, yeah. Any, um, do you have any new year's resolutions, Ben? Uh, none that I've fully articulated. So I'd be wasting everyone's time trying to speculate about what they are, but I just realized it's what we do all the time. So maybe that wouldn't matter, but no, I don't really have anything to say. Yours is not to drink for January. Anything else? That's not really a new year's resolution. That's just kind of a reboot of my alcoholism, but, um, okay. Uh, I am, I, I really intend to see a lot more movies in the theaters. I'm going to go to the theater all the time because I have a movie pass. Now, if you don't know about movie pass yet, this is like unofficial sponsorship, by the way. They're brilliant. I mean, they're going to blow up. MoviePass is going to blow up for sure. Yeah. Um, the price is too good. Yeah, it's nine ninety five a month, and you can see one movie every single day in a theater. <laughs> uh, I'm not shitting you. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
and there are a ton of good movies out right now. Small stuff, you know, not the big, I don't, I'm not all crazy about the huge, huge Hollywood movies. I mean, I do like star Wars and that kind of stuff, but, um, there are a ton of great movies out. So, uh, I already mentioned darkest hour three billboards is really good. Lady bird is really good. I'm dying to see I Tanya, the, uh, Tanya Harding movie. Uh, the new Daniel day Lewis movie is supposed to be really great. There's just all kinds of great movies out. So I'm going to see a ton more movies in the new year. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Excellent. All right. We'll leave it there and we'll be back with you soon. Mm-hmm.